Matthew 26, starting in verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, happy daylight savings to you all. It's your favorite holiday, I'm sure. It's a waste of time. But uh, it's, it's funny, though, like, like daylight savings, it's, it's this funny reminder, not really funny, it's sad, but uh, how we do all, like, it always kind of springs up on us, you know, no pun intended. But, uh, but the, the, it's just, it's, it's here, and it, like, we kind of, it takes us by surprise. And it's this kind of realization that we, we, all, we all need reminders in our life. There are things that we just are, we tend to forget, unless, I mean, if you're like me, unless I write something down or put it in my phone, I mean, I'm going to forget it. Uh, and, and so th- this is true. It was in my, my earlier years, uh, in between college and seminary, I, I tried my hand at being a waiter. Uh, and, and statistics haven't come out yet, but I, I think I'm the worst waiter in human history. I think that's, that's how it will be stated in the history books. Because, I, I mean, I can entertain tables and make people laugh, but, like, if you ask for a straw or a spoon, like, forget it. You weren't getting that thing, man. Just, like, just eat with your hands, I guess. But Because I just, I could not remember those things, like, these little things, unless I make some mental note to remind myself that it, it's, just, it's just gone. And, and we all have various ways of reminding ourselves of things, of remembering things. Uh, we all have various systems, and some of us need more reminders than others. Uh, but, but some of us, you know, maybe we would benefit from a device. I saw this online. Uh, it's a device that, that tells you when you run out of eggs. So, you know, like some of you have all been plagued by that fear. Like, do we have eggs? I don't know, do we? And some of you are freaking out right now. But, you know, it's, it alerts you through an app if you are out of eggs. So if you're interested in that, there's that. Some of you ladies, maybe you would benefit from a doormat that reminds you to unplug all of your, uh, your, your straightener, you know, so you don't burn the house down. Or gentlemen, if you use straighteners, I don't know if you do. But, um, uh, but I'm also pretty sure that 100% of us men would probably benefit from this reminder. Uh, it would probably be helpful in our homes uh, some, to some degree. I, I share this just, I mean, we all, we all need reminders of various kinds, regardless of your age, your occupation, how smart you think you are, we all need reminders in our life. And in many ways, I think we could all benefit from the advice uh, that's very simply stated, don't forget to remember. 
I, I think we all have to, in some intentional way, find ways to remind ourselves of certain things. And in many ways, I think that's what Jesus is doing as he is instituting what we now refer to as the Lord's Supper. Uh, this, this ceremonial, important, significant meal, in it, I believe what Jesus is saying, essentially, is don't forget to remember. And, and the Lord's Supper, I mean, th- this is a, an issue that has a lot of conversation and questions around it, a lot of debate within the church and outside the church even, of what does this meal mean? And there are a lot of things that we, that we need to consider and cover, and we won't cover them all in one sermon, uh, but, but I do want us to see that what Jesus is doing in instituting this meal is essentially giving us this advice of not forgetting to remember. So before we jump in into the text, I do want to pray for our time uh, as we hear from God through his word. So let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pause uh, to, to thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken, that you have made yourself known. And Lord, we do ask now for your spirit to, to enlighten our minds and our eyes and ears to see and hear you. Lord, I pray that we would understand your truth. Would you give us insight that not only stirs our minds and affections, Lord, but that transforms the way in which we live. Uh, I thank you for these people in this room, and I pray that your blessing on the teaching of your word uh, may it form us and shape us to be more like Christ, uh, your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Matthew 26, uh, as we turn to our text this morning, as I said, Jesus is instituting what we refer to as the Lord's Supper. And in it, the first thing I want us to look at is that at this table, at this very significant meal, uh, we are, at this table, we remember the story within the story. This is the first thing I want us to kind of consider, the story within the story. And, and I'll explain what I mean. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, there's a lot of debate, a lot of disagreement around the Lord's table. What is it? How do we celebrate it? Who is it for? Should we use wine or juice? You know, some of you perked up when I said wine. But, uh, but you know, there's a lot of questions around what is this meal about? How do we understand it? And I think in some ways, our, our confusion about this meal is rooted in the fact that we, we miss out on the story behind the story, the story within the story that I think Jesus is showing as he institutes this meal. And l- yeah, let me explain what I mean. In verse 17, uh, we see the, the context of this meal that Jesus is instituting. Verse 17 says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, the festival of unleavened bread, it was, it was this seven-day festival, an annual festival that God's people uh, celebrated uh, as a way to remind themselves, to remember uh, the way in which God was faithful in delivering God's people out of, of, of slavery in Egypt. The, the festival of unleavened bread was this, this intentional time of remembrance and celebration of God's faithfulness through the story of the Exodus. And, and the central meal of, of the, the festival of unleavened bread was the Passover meal. And sometimes the, the word Passover was used to describe the entire festival, so sometimes those phrases are used interchangeably. But in this institutionalized uh, festival and meal, the point was for God's people to regularly, annually come together to remind themselves to not forget to remember God's faithfulness in delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians under Pharaoh. And we see this festival is, is instituted by God in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 17 where we read, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Now, the meaning behind the term Passover, you know, maybe some of us are familiar with the story of the Exodus, but basically the story goes is that the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years uh, under the reign of, of multiple pharaohs. But during this time, an evil dictator, Pharaoh is reigning over Israel, ruling over them. They're enslaved. And God sends Moses as his servant to be the voice of God to Pharaoh, demanding that Pharaoh let his people go. Uh, and in this story, obviously, God, God is telling Moses to, to proclaim this message to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't listen. And we have the story of the plagues, the various plagues that come out uh, upon Egypt that culminates in the final act of judgment, which is the act of, of, of God striking down the firstborn in all of Egypt. Because Pharaoh refused to listen, God brings about this judgment. And the judgment that comes, there is an opportunity, there is a mercy that God extends to those uh, whom he reveals. This, and the story goes is that the, the people of Israel are to gather together as families, to collect, to take a spotless lamb, to sacrifice the lamb, and to take the blood of this spotless lamb and to put it on the doorpost of your home. And that that blood on your doorpost will be a sign and it will be a way in which the judgment of God will pass over that home and that God's judgment is suspended and those within that home are safe and secure under the seal of this symbol of the blood of a spotless lamb. And so God passes over those homes, which is where this term Passover <laughs> comes from. And so this is the meal, this is the context that Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. It's not random, it's not by coincidence, Jesus has very intentional reasons for instituting the Lord's Supper at the Passover. And what we have to understand in this text is that the story of the Passover is central to the people of Israel. So the disciples, I mean, this isn't just this random festival. They're very familiar with this. But what Jesus is doing in instituting the Lord's Supper in the Passover, it brings up a lot of questions for the disciples, and I'm sure for us as well. And so what we see in the story of the Passover is that the only way that the people of Israel could be spared would be if they took security and shelter under the blood of a spotless lamb. And this is what leads to this Passover meal. And, and, and some of you, you know, maybe you're asking the question, like, you know, why blood? I mean, that seems so strange and morbid and dark. Like, why is it necessary that blood is placed on the doorpost of a home that's just morbid and sick and grotesque? And, and while that's true, I, I think that's the very reason for why, why God has chosen that to be the symbol of the Passover meal. Because there's something about blood that communicates severity and seriousness. That blood is the symbol of life and death. And whenever there's blood in a situation, I mean, there, something serious is taking place. I mean, so for example, like when, when my girls, when they fall and scrape their knees, like the first thing they look at is if there's blood, you know, if, there, if there's no blood, we're okay. We'll just kind of, you know, just rub it off. But if there's blood, it doesn't matter how painful it is, we scream. That's what we do because blood is the sign of seriousness. It communicates something serious is going on. In the same way, I believe that that's why God has chosen the symbol of blood to communicate a sense of, of severity and seriousness in what he is showing in this meal that really is a story within a larger story. I share all of this not so that you might win your next round of like Bible trivia with your friends. Like the, the point of all of this is to help us see the story within the story. And what I mean by that is that when we consider how this story of the Passover impacts what we now celebrate, 
as the Lord's Supper, we have to understand that this meal, at the very least, what it shows is that when we gather together at this table and celebrate the Lord's Supper, at the very least, it is a way of God telling us, don't forget to remember my faithfulness throughout time. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to gather together to remember, in a very general sense, God's faithfulness throughout time. So at the the base value, what is the Lord's Supper? Well, one basic understanding is that it is about, is an opportunity for us to remember God's faithfulness throughout time. That when we come to the Lord's table, we are not simply thinking about what God has done for us as individuals, or even what God has done for us as a church, as a collection of, of people who have live, are living in community together in one location. But it is an opportunity for us to come together and to remember and reflect on the fact that God has been at work in the lives of his people for generations. And more than that, we get to identify, if we follow Christ, we identify with those that have gone before us. At this table, it is an opportunity for us to look at all of those that have come before us and say that we share in their story. That when we come to this table, in a sense, there's a way in which we identify with the people of Israel. That there's a sense in which we were enslaved with, with the Israelites in Egypt. That we took shelter under the blood of the Lamb with the Israelites. When, when we understand what this table is about, it is bringing us to a realization that God has been at work through His people for generations. And it is an opportunity for us, yes, to humble ourselves, but also as a way for us to tie ourselves and connect us to God's people throughout history. And again, the reason I say all of this is because this grand story of God's redemption, when we look at the story of the Exodus, the story that the Passover meal commemorates and brings to our mind, as great as that story of deliverance is, it is but a foreshadow. It is a preview of the great theatrical feature film of God's plan of redemption that culminates in the person and the work of Jesus. The story of the Passover is a phenomenal story. The story of the Exodus is a phenomenal story, but it is a story within a greater story that points to the work of a greater deliverer who frees us and redeems us from an even greater enemy. The table that we come to and celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a table that helps us remember the story within the story but it also serves as an opportunity for us to remember the meaning behind the meal. It's not just awakening us to this larger story that God has been a part of, but we also see in the Lord's Supper the meaning behind the meal. Now, the the list is is probably very short of of passages in the Bible uh, that are more debated and and discussed and, and even that have caused division than these four words that Jesus says when he says, this is my body. What on earth does this mean? What is he saying? What what does Jesus intend to communicate to the disciples when he says in verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. This is really confusing because it's not just like during a meal that they're sharing like in the middle of the day just randomly. I mean, that would be strange enough. But this is during a ceremonial meal that the disciples are very familiar with. 
a meal that they know is during the, the, the festival of unleavened bread. I mean, it's meant to point us back to God's faithfulness in delivering us out of Egypt. And Jesus is identifying himself with this meal in a very strange way. I mean, it, it would be like me gathering with my family at Thanksgiving, a very ceremonial meal, a traditional meal, and say, hey guys, before we you know, kind of dig in here, we've got a strange, strange idea. Let, let's just pretend that this turkey, this coma-inducing bird here, is my body. Let's just, let's just, let's just go with that. And, and, and let's pretend that our wine, our tea here, depending on your tradition, you know, uh, is, hey, it's, it's my blood. Uh, how about that? Happy Thanksgiving. You know, like that would be the strangest tradition to implement. Because there's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean on one end, it's, it's either just morbid and bizarre, but on the other end, there's this kind of cannibalistic nature to it. Like, what on earth does this mean? What is Jesus getting at? And the thing we have to keep in mind, as I mentioned before, is that Jesus is not instituting this meal out of the blue. He intentionally is connecting it to the Passover meal. And Jesus is placing himself, he is identifying himself with this ceremonial meal in a very significant way. Yes, the Lord's Supper helps us see that the Passover is a great story, but it's also showing us that that it is within a greater story. But in addition to that, it also helps us see how Jesus is at the center of that great story. When Jesus takes the Passover meal, and, and takes the meal here and, and identifies himself with the elements served within it. He's not just saying something strange and grotesque, but he is saying this meal that is, that is the centerpiece of this celebration of God's climactic work up until this point of delivering my people out of, out of Egypt. Jesus is saying this meal, this celebration, that work of deliverance is actually all about me. He's placing himself at the center of this meal, which is at the center of this festival, which is at the center of God's people. Jesus is putting himself at the center and doing something very profound. What he's saying is that everything about this meal, in all of its significance, the history, the meaning, it is all pointing to something greater. Essentially what Jesus is saying is that, look, if you thought the story of the Exodus was amazing, you haven't seen nothing yet. That's essentially what he's saying here. That, that if you thought that being enslaved in Egypt was bad, you have no idea the depth and the, the wickedness of being enslaved to sin. It is a far greater enemy. You, you thought that Pharaoh, this malevolent dictator, was evil. You have no idea the, the power of your great enemy, the devil. You thought Moses was a great leader that I sent. Absolutely he was, but you have no idea how great of a leader and redeemer I am. This whole story of the Exodus, as powerful and as beautiful as it is, and as central as it is to God's narrative, it is just a preview of what God is going to do in a far greater way. And Jesus is showing in the giving of the Lord's Supper that this story is just a story within a story. And that this meal is pointing to something far greater. Jesus is not placing the Passover at the center of God's story. He's not placing the meal at the center of God's story. He's not, he's not placing the, the elements at the center of God's story. He's placing himself at the center of God's story. Jesus is the one who, who, is, who will be pierced. He is the one who will be torn apart. He is the one who will be the payment for sin. He is the one who will be broken so that we might be brought together. 
This meal, this table, in all of its significance, is, is, is proclaiming something true, but we must see that what it is proclaiming is not the sacrifice of the sacrament, it's not proclaiming the saving power of the elements, but rather it is pointing to the sacrifice of the sacred one. That the meaning behind this meal is Jesus Christ who offered himself as the spotless lamb on the cross. Jesus knew what he was doing as he instituted the Lord's Supper on the Passover because Jesus knows his identity as the true spotless lamb. That just as the Israelites remembered God's faithfulness in redeeming them out of Egypt, and that the festival of unleavened bread was a means by which we remember that, Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper as an opportunity for us to hear him say, don't forget to remember all that I have done and all that I have yet to do in accomplishing my work of redemption. The Apostle Peter, in, in his letter in 1 Peter, he, he sees and understands this identity of Jesus being the spotless Lamb of God. Peter says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Just as the Passover meal was instituted by God to be a means by which God's people remember and reflect and celebrate God's faithfulness in redeeming them out of slavery. The Lord's Supper, being instituted by Jesus in the same time, the same time of the Passover meal, is meant to point us back to what Christ has done on our behalf. And so what that means is that, that this meal, this meal gives us the important instruction where we hear, don't forget to remember Christ's work on the cross. This table, this meal is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves the truth that we are so prone to forget, the truth that we kind of, we say, yeah, 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 I, I know that, I've heard that message before, let's move on to something else, but this is the message that Jesus wants us to come back to. This is why he has instituted this meal that we might not forget, that we might not drift away from it, but that we might feast upon the goodness of this message that Christ in his life lived a perfect life of obedience for us. That Christ in his death died and paid the penalty of sin by suffering for us in our place. And that through his resurrection, he promises the assurance and security of life and life everlasting. When we seat ourselves at this table to eat this bread and drink of this cup, we are placing ourselves at the foot of the cross. That's what we do when we come to this table. It is not this religious, traditional, obligatory, perfunctory thing we do out of a sense of obligation, out of a sense of we have to, out of tradition and habit, but it is a celebration. It is an opportunity for us to hear this command, don't forget to remember all that I have done for you. Which is why the Apostle Paul, in giving his instruction on the Lord's Supper, he says that as we gather around this table, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. He says in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But here's the thing, even more than proclaiming this story to ourselves, by coming to this table, we are also placing ourselves in God's story of redemption. We are not just the recipients of what God has done, but that we are a part of what God has been doing and has yet to do throughout time and throughout history. And in so doing, we recognize that all of God's promises, 
everything is declared throughout time, throughout Scripture, the fulfillment of it is coming together in Jesus Christ. This new promise that God declares over us, that that on the basis of Christ, we are forgiven, this is what this meal is declaring to us. The meal, the meal is not always what is central. Jesus is what is central. And Jesus wants us to understand that. That in this new covenant, based on, on the work in, of Christ alone, we have the blessing of being forgiven. Which is why Jesus says in verse 28, drink of it all of you, referring to the cup, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this promise, this promise that Jesus' blood forgives, it is, it is not rooted in an ongoing sacrifice. It's not rooted in, in some ritual that we engage in and, and earn and receive over time. It's not like God's forgiveness towards us is received like, like through layaway or like through down payments. But what we understand is that when we come to this meal, we celebrate the work of Christ who died on the cross once and for all for our sins completely done. That's why Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. That's why the author of Hebrews, in describing Jesus being the greater high priest, he says that every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And then that beautiful word, but, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, a single sacrifice, once for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And for by a single offering, he has perfected all for all time those who are being sanctified. Friends, what this means is that the good news of the Lord's table tells us that God's promise to forgive us based on the work of Christ alone is a work that was accomplished once and for all and that this table is not a means by which we come to receive forgiveness. It is not a means by which we come to earn our status as God's beloved children, but it is a family table where we come and celebrate and remember all that is ours in Christ through what he has accomplished once and for all at the cross. And knowing this, the Lord's Supper then is not the means by which we enter into a covenant relationship, but rather it is what, what, what Tim Keller refers to beautifully as a covenant renewal ceremony. The Lord's Supper is a covenant renewal ceremony. We are to remember what he did for us, how he took the curse of the covenant so that we could be in relationship with him by grace. As we come to this table to understand the story, that, that there is a story within the story, that the Lord's Supper being instituted during the Passover meal points to what God has done in the Exodus and that that story was a foreshadow and preview of what Jesus would fully accomplish at the cross. As we come to this table, we were reminded of that and we see the meaning behind the meal and we were compelled to not forget to remember, not forget to remember all that Christ has accomplished for us. The table is an opportunity for us to stop, to pause, and to look back on all that Jesus has done for us. As one modern hymn writer so beautifully says in, in, in describing what this table is about, remember my bed, the dark cattle shed, though glory was all my domain. Remember the years of service and tears that climaxed in lashings of pain. By God's own decree, your guilt fell on me and all of my loss was your gain. 
While breaking the bread, the Lord Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my tears, Gethsemane's fears, recall that my followers fled, that I was betrayed, disowned, and arraigned, the prince of life crucified, dead. Remember your shame, your sin, and your blame. Remember the blood that I shed while lifting the cup, the Savior spoke up. Do this in remembrance of me. At this table, we remember the story within the story. We remember that the meaning behind this meal that it is all about Christ and what he has done. But we also have to understand that this meal, while it does point our direction and our gaze backwards to what God has done and what he has accomplished through Jesus and the cross, this meal also turns our gaze forward and shows us that at the table, we remember the reunion that is yet to come. The table, yes, points us backwards, but it also brings us to a place where we look forward. As Jesus concludes in verse 29, as, he, as he's bringing the supper to a close, I tell, you what I, what I, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Yes, the Lord's Supper is a powerful and significant meal, absolutely, And it reminds us afresh that we are able to share in the promises of God through the merits of Christ Jesus alone. But it is also an opportunity for us to remind ourselves of what is yet to come, that this meal is pointing to a greater feast, to a greater celebration, to a greater banquet table that awaits all who are in Christ Jesus. You see, throughout the entire scripture, throughout the entire biblical narrative, God has basically been building up to this wedding feast this celebration, this banquet table. In fact, if you think about it, the Bible opens and closes with a wedding. It opens in the Garden of Eden with the wedding of Adam and Eve together, and the banquet feast is all of creation for them to enjoy, but it wasn't enough for them. And so they rebelled, and they chose to follow their own desires rather than God's will. And so rather than God giving up on his plans as being the cosmic wedding planner, he, he is faithful and committed to the work of bringing this wedding back together, of restoring it, but even to a better place. That's why throughout the Old Testament, the voices of the prophets tell of this coming feast, the banquet feast, the messianic banquet feast that is yet to come. And there's this strange imagery with it, and we don't fully understand it at this time, but as we see the story unfold, we see that this wedding feast that began in in creation is prophesied and promised by the prophets. This same wedding feast is what Jesus refers to in his parables. This same wedding feast is what Jesus is pointing to with the (laughs) Lord's Supper. And it's the same wedding feast that the final book of, of, of the Bible of Revelation is revealing that everything is building towards this. In Revelation 19 verses 6 through 9, We read, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
this is what the Lord's Supper is pointing us towards. Yes, back to what God has done throughout time, back to the cross where we see our forgiveness secured and assured through what Christ has done, but this table also points us forward to the great wedding feast of the Lamb, where we will see the greatest wedding ever, the wedding of heaven and earth united in a way in which we have never possibly imagined it. At this table, we remember the story within the story of God's faithfulness throughout time. And and what we see is that, that we are tied to all of those that have called upon the name of God, the name of Jesus, who have followed him with their lives, who have given of, of, himself, of themselves to him, who have trusted that in Christ alone forgiveness is found. This table binds us together, yes, with one another, but also with fellow believers who have been following Christ for years and years. But this table also is a reminder of the meaning behind the meal, that Christ is our great Passover lamb. That his blood shed on the cross is what allows us to be forgiven. And so because of that, we as people who have been forgiven ought to be people who forgive. That this table is not just a reminder of of what we've received, but it is also a way in which we are empowered and loved and encouraged to be people who extend our tables to other people. Who extend forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. But the table also, again, is the reminder of the reunion that is yet to come, that Christ will come again as we await the great marriage of heaven and earth. The table reminds us that we have much to hope for in the midst of great chaos. But as the final words of that that passage in Revelation that I read said, that the question still is, but who's invited? Who's invited to this wedding feast? It sounds great. Sounds wonderful. I don't think I got an invitation. I may have lost it in the mail. Who, who, who is invited to come to this wedding feast of the Lamb? And very frankly, the answer is that no one, no one deserves to be invited to this, to this feast. Not a single one of us deserves to come into these lines and to stand at this table and to hear the words, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. None of us deserve to be in these lines. And yet, Jesus still invites us to this line. He invites us to this table. He says that you are welcome here at my family table. Why? Not because of anything you have done, not because of your works that validate your status, but because I have interceded for you, because I have have gone to the cross for you where you deserved to go. And by my blood, you find life. By my body torn apart, you are brought together. This table, none of us deserve to be at. And yet, Jesus invites us. But it is equally true that there's nothing in our past, nothing that we have done or ever will do that could possibly get us to a place where Jesus would look at us and say, man, I don't think my blood can cover that. Yes, it is true that there's nothing we can do to validate our place in this line, but it is also true that there's nothing we can do to get Jesus to look at us and say, I cannot imagine forgiving that. The good news of this table is that regardless of how good we think we are or how bad and broken we know we are, the table is for all who come to trust and to take shelter under the blood of the spotless lamb. Because think about it, even Judas, 
Even Judas was invited to this table. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, the one, the one who rejected him, Jesus still invited him to be at the table. If you notice in the text, Judas, Judas, Jesus is not the one who rejects Judas. Jesus doesn't tell Judas to leave. Judas asks, is it me? And Jesus says, you have said so. It is Judas who excuses himself from the table, not Jesus. This table is for all who have come to see that Jesus is Lord and Savior. This table is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves, to not forget to remember the story within the story, that this is pointing to something far greater than just a, an amazing story of God's deliverance of people out of slavery. That it is, a, it is an opportunity for us to remember the meaning behind the meal, that Christ is our great spotless lamb whose blood forgives us completely once and for all. And it is an opportunity to be reminded that the wedding feast of the lamb is yet to come, where all things will be made new, and we will celebrate in the marriage of heaven and earth, and we will be with our Messiah, with our King, with Jesus, the one who has come to bring us to himself. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, we, we do ask that you would help us to see what, what this table means. Lord, I ask that you would remind us and awaken us to the reality that Jesus is the one that all of these stories are pointing to. Lord, that, that, the, that the great slavery we find ourselves in is our sin that destroys us and that leads us to death. That death is our true and great enemy that awaits all of us. But also that Jesus is the one who through his life and through his death promises us the opportunity of, of being forgiven and being able to look at death in the face and say, you can't touch me. Lord, would you prepare our hearts as we come to this table not to see it as something that earns our forgiveness before you, that establishes us and, and renews our membership, so to speak, to your family, but it is a day, a place, and a table of celebration declaring and proclaiming the death of Christ on our behalf. Thank you for your gift and your goodness towards us. May this table nourish us, encourage us, and may it give us pause to reflect on where we stand with you and if we have come to find shelter on the blood of the spotless lamb of Christ Jesus, Lord, would you speak to us now and awaken to us and show us how we are to respond to you. Lord, may this table bless those that come. We pray in Christ's name, amen.